you want to turn with, with me the, uh, for Psalm 40, if you can turn the Bible to Psalm 40, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 11. Psalm 40, verses 1 to 11. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to turn who, uh, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O oh Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us, no one can recount to you. Were I, speak, were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offering and sin offerings you, do not, you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is, in, is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. Wow, good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. Great to be together, hey, as a family of God. And uh, it's good to get into God's Word. I really believe He's going to speak to you today through the wonderful Psalm 40 that we're going to look at. Hey, it was back in the 80s when the greatest rock group of all time, U2, put Psalm 40 to a song. And they called it 40. And if you ever go to a U2 concert, if you're my age, and um, at the end of the concert, they sing the song 40. And they have this amazing melody, which they ask the question. And the melody goes, how long are we going to sing this song how long? Always wanted to be a rock star. Always wanted to be like Bono of you two. But they asked the question, how long are we going to keep singing this song? Now, it's a question that we all go through, isn't it, when we go through the journey of life. And it's a question which David, the writer of Psalm 40, asked when he wrote this psalm. Because David at this time in his life was in deep trouble. He was in deep trouble. And he was surrounded by fear, realizing yet again that his only hope for rescue was in God. And he calls out for God to not delay. Now the commentators believe that the psalm was written in the early part of David's life. Now David was anointed, as we know, he was anointed to be king of Israel. But the problem was there was already a king of Israel and his name was Saul. Now Saul was incredibly jealous of David's popularity. And so Saul was trying to kill David. 
David fled for his life and was living in caves, being hunted down like a dog. Now, David must have asked God the question. I mean, where was this throne? Where was the kingdom of, of Israel? You know, and David would have been praying, and I'm sure David felt like that his prayers were falling on deaf ears. I mean, why God? Why, God, was this happening to me? Why was it happening to me? And you've got to remember, at this time in David's life, David had been incredibly faithful to God, had been incredibly obedient to God, and not only to God, but he'd been faithful and obedient to Saul. And yet here he was, living like a dog, living in a cave, and calling out to God, God, how long, how much longer are we going to wait? I mean, does that sound familiar to you at all? You know, over these last few years, we've all been through the lockdowns and the pandemic. And, and for some of us, you know, we've been incredibly faithful. We've been incredibly prayerful. And we're, and we're calling out, God, how much longer am I going to be living in this slimy pit that David talks about? How much longer? Well, if that's you this morning, I really believe Psalm 40 is going to speak to you. I really believe this is written for you. So I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to follow it along with me because you'll get lost if you don't have your Bible with you. Now, it's in verse 1. David starts off with these words. Look at what he says. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now he starts off by saying that I waited patiently for the Lord. Now I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with patience. I, mean, I don't even know how to spell the word, let alone carry it out. And I don't like waiting. I mean, how many of you, when you go to Woolworths, I mean, what is it with Woolies? You go to Woolies, there's 10 checkouts, isn't there? How many are opened? One. What's the go with that? And I mean, I do struggle at times with patience. And I think if you're a parent here, you could relate. As a parent, I don't know all your parenting skills, but I guarantee you, you struggle with patience at time. The thing is, though, that our impatience seeps into our Christian life, doesn't it? It seeps into our Christian life and we struggle when someone says to us that, Mark, you've just got to wait on the Lord. We struggle. And yet some of the greatest men in the Bible that we read about were men that had to wait. When we look at the life of Joseph, he waited 13 years, many of them in jail. Abraham waited 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Noah, they said, could have been waiting up to 100 years building the ark. And David, the, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he waited for eternity. He waited till he got to heaven for God to remove the thorn from his flesh. But you see, church, it's in our patience. It's in our waiting where God often does his best work. It's where God matures us and makes us to be the men and the women that he wants us to be. You know, C.S. Lewis put a great quote where he says that, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. He says, I know, Lord, now why you don't answer, because you are yourself the answer. Because you are yourself the answer. And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement, as God is the answer. And at times, we as believers, as followers of Jesus, just have to wait. We have to wait patiently. We have to follow David's example and patiently wait on the Lord. 
Now, how are we going to do that? It's easy to say, hard to do, isn't it? How do we do it? Well, I think David gives us some great insight in this psalm. He gives us great insight about how he waited on the Lord. And the way that David waited was he reminded himself of God's goodness. He reminded himself of the God that he was following, that if he was going to wait on God, then this is the character of the God that he was waiting on. And he says there in, in verse chapter 2, firstly, he says, describing about God, he said, He turned to me and he heard my cry. You see, David could testify more than most, even though his life stunk, even though he was in the cave living for his life, David knew more than most that God was listening to his prayer. No matter how deep the pit, David knew that God was a God who heard his cry and listened and answered. You know, I remember my mum as, as a kid. I loved my mum and I remember as a kid, didn't matter whatever time of night it was, whether it was three o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning, my mum always heard, always heard me call out. You know, I could say, Mum, 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 I've wet the bed. Didn't say that very often, let me just tell you. Or I could say it really quietly, Mum, Mum, I'm feeling sick. Mum would always hear my cry. I don't know about you, but as a dad, when I had kids, I never heard a thing. My wife, though, always heard it. It's the curse of being a mum. And you see, David here is picturing that picture of God, isn't he? That God is a God who hears our prayer, hears our cry. Now, you may have prayed and you may have called out to God and God may have said no. You may have prayed for healing and God may have said not yet. You may have prayed for healing and God may miraculously have healed you, but it does not change the fact that even when we are crying ourselves to sleep under our doona, God is a God who hears our cries and answers our prayers. And that is the God that David could put his trust in. That's the God that he could wait patiently on. You see, the second thing he tells us about God, the character of God, in verse 2, he says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. You see, again, David is giving us this wonderful picture of God. He is a God who is someone who, who reaches down and pulls us up out of the miry clay, out of the pit. It's a picture of, I was thinking about during the week, about the Anzacs in World War I. We saw them there in the mud and the mire and the filth, even at the point where some of them drowned in the mud. And yet the picture is, is that we have a God who reaches down and pulls us up out of that pit. The third thing that he's saying about God is God is not only our rescuer, but he sets our feet on a rock and he gives us a firm place to stand. You know, I know as a builder, um, we dig our foundations, although the apprentices dig the foundations and we watch. But as we're digging the foundations, we need to dig down to the rock, to something firm to build on. You know, I love that picture here that David is giving us of, of our God that he is a firm foundation for us, that we as Christians, that we, we can actually ask God questions. We can question our faith. We can go to him and we can struggle and share our struggles, but our faith is firm. See, we're not like in all of other religions who you cannot question their faith. You cannot ask questions about what you believe in. You are told to blindly believe and follow. 
But we as believers in Jesus have a firm foundation and we can ask questions, we can question, we can call out to God because our foundation is firm. Now the fourth thing here that David points out about his God, he says he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? How even in the midst of troubles, God so often puts a song in our heart, doesn't he? And brings joy into our life. You know, often as a pastor, when I would go and visit many of you um, in hospital or in your homes, and often I would visit people who were close to death, who were living in pain, who were struggling with ill health. It was absolutely incredible the amount of times that I visited them and they still had a joy in their heart. God had given them a song and they were showing joy even in the midst of incredible difficulties. But you know what that does? You know what that does when we live that out? It's an incredible example to the people around us. It's an incredible example to the nurses, the doctors, to the relatives that don't know about Jesus. Because you know, you can have plenty of questions about God. You can struggle with theology. You can struggle about who Jesus is and who God is and whether he was real or not. But there's one thing that you cannot argue with. The thing that you cannot argue with is that someone who's got joy and a song in their heart when they're going through incredibly difficult times. Because the only answer to that is that there is a God in heaven who loves them, who's walking with them, who is real. The only answer is God, that we can praise him even when we're stuck in the cave, even when we're in that pit. You see, in verse 4, David now goes on. And David now reminds himself of God's goodness and how blessed we are when we put our trust in him and not in the false gods, he says, of this world. You know, in David's life, I reckon one of the greatest examples of this was when David was fleeing from Saul. You probably remember the story. He was fleeing from Saul one time and he was in a cave with his mates. Now, it must have been a very dark cave because Saul enters the cave. He enters the cave to go to the toilet. Must have been very dark. So here's Saul. He's on the toilet. Here's David and his mates. They're in the back of the cave in the dark. Now, they see Saul. And so here's David's chance. Here is David's chance to take life into his own hands, to get a knife and kill Saul. A wonderful opportunity for David to do that. But David knew that Saul was still God's anointed. And David knew that he was called to trust God. To trust God that in God's timing, he would be the king of Israel one day. And so what does David do? So David grabs a knife. David goes up to the back of Saul. Saul's got his robe and David comes up and he cuts a bit of the cloth off the robe. Saul leaves the cave. David in the distance calls out to Saul and he basically says something like this to Saul. That Saul, I could have listened to my friends. I could have listened to false worldly wisdom. The smart thing to do was to kill you. But I didn't do that. And I spared your life. Because David knew that he could wait patiently on God. Because David knew that God was a God who was hearing his prayers. That God was a God who was lifting him up. That God was a God who was going to put his feet on a rock. That he was a God who put a new song of praise in his mouth. 
Because church, that's the God that David followed. And that's the God that we follow. What a God that we have. Now in verse 5, David continues. And he continues now to bask in God's goodness. Listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders that you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Church, have you ever just stopped and pulled up a chair and just thought about the incredible blessings on your life from God? The wonders and the plans that God has for you. You know, this week I did it actually yesterday. I was in my office and I got out a piece of paper and I just started to list all the amazing blessings that God had given in my life. And I started to write them down and I started to praise God down and pretty soon I had a whole page and I had to turn the page and do another. And I just spent time thanking God for these things. And of course I thanked him, of course, for my wife. She was at the number one. But then I was thanking him for all sorts of things. I was thinking, in fact, that I had breath in my lungs. I was thinking that I had eyes to see. I was thinking that I, didn't have, I wasn't rotting in some jail overseas for my faith. I thanked him that I had a bed to sleep in at night, that I had food. I thanked him that I had assurance that I was going to heaven because of Jesus. And my list got longer and longer until I had to turn the page. And I had to actually agree with David that if I were to tell of them, there would be two many to declare because our God is that good. Church, can I encourage you this week to just bask in the goodness of God? Can I encourage you this week, turn off the stupid social media, turn off the news, turn off all the distractions, get a chair, get somewhere comfortable and just bask in God's goodness. You know, it's like when we go to the beach. When you go to the beach, what do we do? We get off our clothes, hopefully not all your clothes, but you get off your clothes, don't you? And you just sit under the sun. And you love the warmth of the sun on your body, don't you? I want to encourage you this week, church. Get a chair. Get somewhere quiet. Start listing down the good things that God has blessed you with in your life and start basking in his goodness. You know, we're so good at basking, aren't we, in the problems. We're so good at basking in all the problems that we face. And our life just gets busier and our life just gets crazier and we forget about the wonders and the blessings and the plans that God has for us because they are just too many to count. Church, please this week, find some time. Bask in his goodness. Remember who he is. You see, the next thing in the psalm now is that David now changes tact. He's been basking in God's goodness, and now he basks in his salvation. Have a look at what it says in verses 6 to 10. It says, Sacrifice, <clears throat> Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Go to verse 8. I desire to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Now, can anyone remember, if you're my vintage, you remember this. 
But can anyone remember the days, the time, when the men started to get their ears pierced? Can anyone remember that? I mean, it was quite a stir, wasn't it? It was a real statement that you were a rebel, that if you as a bloke got your ears pierced. You know, and if you're really tough, you remember this got guys, 50-year-old guys? You know, you had the um, smokes up your arm, didn't you? The Winnie Blues, you had the smokes there, you had the tight jeans, you had the earring, and if you were really tough, you had a tat. Really tough, you had a tat of your mum, or a skull, or whatever it may be. So what's David talking about here? That God is piercing David's ear, because in my day, you wouldn't even get into a church if you had an ear pierce. Well, if you were a slave in David's day, when you were, the time came for you to get your freedom, you had a choice. You had a choice when your freedom came that you could stay with your master. You could stay and work for him for the rest of your life, or you could go free. Now, if you freely chose to stay a slave with your master, what the master would do is that he would pierce your ear as a sign that you had pledged lifelong service to your beloved master. And this is what David is saying about God, that God wants us to freely choose to follow him, to freely choose, because we're not under some law. He doesn't want us to follow him just to follow the rules and the law, but he wants us to choose to follow him with all of our heart, freely to choose to bask in this wonderful free gift of salvation, to realize that we're not slaves to the law, but we're free to do God's will. We are free to choose God. And he said it's because of this, David now wants to go and tell the world about it. He wants to go and tell the world about his salvation. Look what he says in verses 9 to 10. He says, I, David, proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. He says, I do not seal my lips. I do not hide your righteousness. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth. You see, David knew and basked in his salvation, this free and wonderful gift. And it was because of that, David wanted to go and tell the world. And you know, church, that's why it's so incredibly important that we come to church each week. It's so incredibly important that we read God's word each week, each day. It's so incredibly important that we remind ourselves of what God has done. And we bask in that. We remind ourselves of that. Because if we don't, if we don't, the sad reality is, is that life creeps in, doesn't it? Busyness takes over our life and we forget how good God is. We forget that God is a God who hears our cry. We forget that God is a God who, who lifts us out of the mud and the mire. We forget that God is a God who is our rock. We forget that he wants to put a new song in our heart. And most importantly, we forget the cost of our salvation. We so easily forget the cost of our salvation. And if that's your reality... If you are so busy that you can't come to church, that you can't get into God's word, you can't join a Bible study, then the reality is, I'm going to tell you this, is that you will forget. You will lose the importance of the salvation that cost Jesus everything. You see, church, we need to be reminded of it. And if we're not reminded of it, if we are not basking in our salvation, then why in the world would you go tomorrow to work 
and tell someone about Jesus when it's costly, when it's nerve-wracking, when you look like an idiot? Why would you do that? Why would you stand next to someone at the soccer oval while you're watching your kids play soccer and tell them that you're a believer in Jesus? Why would you do that? Because you won't. We won't. Unless we bask in our salvation. Unless we do not lose the incredible awesomeness of our salvation. You see, church, can you see the trap of the deceiver? Can you see the trap of Satan? That he wants us to fall into the trap of being so busy, so distracted, that we fail to remind ourselves of the salvation that we have. We fail to bask in God's goodness. You know, I think one of the great fears and the trap of this pandemic is that Satan is so evidently is trying to keep us apart. He loves our churches being closed. He loves us not meeting together. You know, it's affected me, I can tell you greatly, because I'm a social person. Mate, you all know me. And I love being people. I love being at church. I come twice on a Sunday. I love it. But the greatest attack on me, I think, in my faith, is, is to keep me apart from you. It's to keep me apart from one another. It's to keep me apart from reading God's word and, and coming together. How, I mean, how good was it to sing just before? Church, we've got to remind ourselves constantly of the salvation that we have that cost Jesus his life. Now look, lastly here, David now turns his direction in this psalm. And now in this psalm, David gets really, really raw. Really raw. And he shows us that he's just like us. You know, in verses 11 to 17, David had been reminding himself of God's goodness, hadn't he? He's been reminding us of his salvation. But yet David tells us very clearly here that he still struggles with fear, that he still struggles with anxiety over his sin. And so what does David do? He calls for help. In verse 11 to 13, look what it says. It says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. You know, I love David's honesty there. I love the fact that he, he, he knows that he's a sinner. David isn't hiding behind some veneer of self-righteousness, is he? He's raw and he's wrestling with his sin. He's wrestling with his faith and he's realizing that it's only God that can rescue him. So what does he do? He calls out to God, God, come quickly, come quickly to me. You know, one of the hardest things that, that I do um, as a Christian, in, in some ways, is, is lead a men's Bible study group. Now, it's really hard to lead a men's Bible study group, let me tell you. Women are much better at this than men. It's really hard to lead a men's Bible study group because I and all the blokes in that group find it incredibly hard to be real, find it incredibly hard to be raw like David is here. Incredibly hard. Because I don't want the blokes in that group knowing my darkest thoughts. 
I don't want the blokes in that group knowing the things that I'm ashamed of. I don't want them to know the sinful habits in my life. But I do know that if we as a group and as a church are going to have victory over the sin in our life, then we need to be honest. We need to be real like David is. We need to realize that we're a family. And that as a family, we're a community of grace. And that God has taken our shame. He's taken upon us himself. And so David here in his journey, David in verse 15 calls out to God. Look what he says. He says, may those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. You see, David is saying here that to those who think that somehow their sin is less an affront to God than their own and are saying, aha, 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 then let them be appalled at their own shame. And church, if we are a church or if we as individuals are looking at others around us and saying, well, look at that person over there. They're doing this. Look at that family over there. They've chosen to do this with their life and they've chosen to do that and they're doing this. I want to say to you what David says. May you be appalled at your shame. May we as a church be appalled at our shame if we are going around and pointing the bony finger. Church, may we be appalled at that. We have got to be a community of love. And I know the love thing gets bandied around so often and we think, oh, yeah, yeah we hear it all the time. And we just sort of blaze over it. We hear that God loves us. But church, we need to be that community of love. We need to ask ourselves, who are, who are we? You know, who is the real you? Who is the real you anyway? You know, I remember when I went out with my wife on our, on our first date. I was a missionary at the time and I, I really was nervous. And I was nervous that she would ask me something along the lines of, who is the real Mark Penner? Who is the real Mark Penner? You know, I was a missionary at that time. You know, I, I could have told her the, the Christian answer and said, oh, you know, I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. I could have given her all the Christian answers. But I was really dreading actually telling her the truth. Why? Because I knew if I told her the truth, I probably wouldn't get a second date. I wouldn't have got a second date at all. And let me give you a tip, any young guys here, probably not a great idea on the first date to tell them all your struggles and all your sins. Keep it for the third or fourth. But you know, we have a God. We have an incredible heavenly Father who knows the real you, who knows your sin, who knows your shame. He knows everything about us. And yet what he says to us, he says that I know the real Mark Penner and I'm going to send my son because I love this guy. I love my sons and daughters and I'm going to forgive them. And I don't care what they've done because when I look down from heaven and I see my children, I don't see their sin. I don't see their shame. I see the Lord Jesus hanging on that cross who took all their shame, who paid for their sin. Because that's how God looks at us. That's the love of our Heavenly Father. So church, how long 
Are we going to keep singing this song? How long are we going to keep singing this song? Well, I don't know how long we're going to keep singing this song. But David really finishes this psalm in a beautiful way. Look what he says in verse 16 and 17. But he said, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And may those who love your salvation always say, The Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, my God, do not delay. Do not delay. Well, church, we don't know how long it's going to be, do we? We don't know how long it is before the Lord returns. But, you know, when I look around the world and everything that's going on, man, it's close. It's getting closer every day. He could come back today. He could come back next week, but he's coming back. And until he does come back, we've got to keep fighting the fight. We're going to keep battling with sin, I can guarantee you. But until he comes on that day when he returns and sets us free and takes us to be with him in heaven, we've got to keep fighting the fight. You know, the thing we know from this psalm is that until that day comes, we just need to wait patiently on the Lord. We need to trust in our Lord. We need to patiently wait. We need to bask in his goodness. Bask in his goodness this week. We need to bask in our salvation. We need to remind ourselves of the cost. And we don't need to beat ourselves up over our sin. You're going to struggle with sin, let me tell you. You're going to be overrun at times. But we have a God who's paid our price. He's paid our price on that cost. And he loves us. So we believe in a God who's giving us a second date, a third date, a fourth date and a fifth date because he loves us and he's accepted us. And until he comes, church, can I encourage us this week to keep fighting the fight, to bask in his goodness, to bask in our salvation, knowing that he is our help and he is our deliverer. What a God that we follow. Hey, let me pray. Lord God, I want to thank you so much for this psalm. When we look at this psalm, we're just reminded of how good you are. We're reminded, Lord God, that you hear our prayers. It doesn't matter where we are, in the pit, in the cave, under the doona at night. You hear our prayer and you lift us out of that pit. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who puts our feet on a rock and a song in our mouth. And Lord, I want to pray for us this week that we would find that time and we would again just be reminded of how good you are, how much you lavish upon us. We'd be reminded of the incredible cost that our salvation cost you in sending your son. And I want to pray, Lord, today that we as a church, as a community of believers, would learn afresh to love one another. We would never fall into that trap of pointing fingers and saying, ah, ha, ha, ha. But we would just gather around and love and walk and crawl with one another. And Lord, I just thank you that you are a God who walks with us. And I just want to pray, Lord, just this morning too, if there is anyone here, Lord, today who doesn't know this God that we're talking about, who doesn't know the God that David was talking about, 
then I want to say, Lord, that today is the day that they need to come and meet Jesus. They need to come and bow their knee before the Jesus who loves them, who died for them. May they have the courage to do that, to come and speak to me or James or someone today. Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus. His love for you is never ending. And so, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you this morning. You speak to us every day through your word. We thank you for it. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening.